Looking for work, better pay, better work environment? We can help. Call Kelly Jobs today at 502-425-7131 to speak with a recruiter today. Score a better job with us. Call 502-425-7131 or visit kellyjobs.com. That's kellyjobs.com. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. now for The Drive with Mark Ennis, presented by Fitness Market on 93.9 The Ville. Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at thefitnessmarket.com. Now here's Mark Ennis. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. We love any time we can have Andrea Adelson from ESPN on, and now is one of those times. Andrea, it is good to talk to you now that we are in the throes of the uh, the off season here, and we're getting that thing now. We're past signing day where coaches get on the move again uh, after these kids sign these uh, national letters of intent. It's funny how that works. Uh, and a lot to, to talk about, Andrea. How's everything going? Everything is great. Happy Valentine's Day to you and all the listeners out there. Thanks for having me again. Back at you. I appreciate uh, that. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about Miami and the situation that uh, is is going on down there. There have been some interesting coaching hires at, at like the assistant level at some of the more prominent programs around the country. And uh, my, certainly true of Miami. Uh, in this case, you have coordinator turnover after one year that was disappointing. And on the defensive side, I think they ended up making a pretty shrewd hire uh, with with Gidry on the defensive side. But on the offensive side, Shannon Dawson, that seemed to come kind of out of nowhere. Doesn't seem to really fit what Cristobal's tried to do, kind of man ball, you know, running and physicality and that sort of thing in his time at Oregon and, and FIU before that. And Shannon Dawson, not not even not even kind of the same resume that even Gaddis had, perhaps, uh, when he hired him, and that was sort of flushed after one year. How... How concerned do you think people ought to maybe be about how things are going when everyone was sort of on the same page uh, when Cristobal was hired? Yeah, it's a good question because I think that particularly on offense, this is an absolutely crucial hire uh, considering who this is, his background, and the fact that he doesn't have the type of resume that Gaddis did, as you mentioned. Um, They interviewed several others, I think, Major Applewhite is somebody that they talked to. Brandon Streeter was somebody else that they talked to reportedly uh, before landing on uh, Shannon Dawson. And quite frankly, I think this is probably uh, a reaction to the way the offense played last year in this kind of old school, try to run the ball, try to be physical up front. It didn't work, and it didn't mesh with what Tyler Van Dyke likes to do their starting quarterback who you know headed into last season everybody's talking about this guy as a potential first round draft pick you know, he looked good uh under Rhett Lashley the season before but what they were doing under Gaddis was a, a big departure from the type of things that Rhett Lashley liked to do when we're talking about tempo and spread and even though Shannon Dawson comes from the air raid there are more similarities with that kind of scheme uh than there are with what Josh Gaddis was trying to do And now that leads us to what Mario likes to do, which is different from what Shannon Dawson has done. So I can understand why there are people who have questions or maybe seemed a little puzzled by this move. But to me, this signals that Mario's trying to be a little bit more flexible in knowing the personnel who he has at Miami, the types of players they can bring into Miami. When you're talking about athletes and speed and skill, you have to be able to utilize that. Miami did not do that. A year ago. So I think this is more of a nod to, all right, we still need to run the ball, but we have to be able to throw it. And when you've got a passer like Tyler Van Dyke coming back and you look at what Houston was able to do with Clayton Toon um, and some of the passing records he was able to uh, achieve at Houston, 
it starts to make a little bit more sense. Uh, but there's been a lot of turnover on that entire offensive staff, and uh, I believe the only returning coach on that side of the ball is going to be their offensive line coach, Alex Mirabal, who's been with yeah. Mario every step of the way. It's comedic, comic looking on the sideline. Just a fascinating <laughs> coach that Mirabal guy is. Uh, one of the coaches that sort of washed out there uh, at Miami after this year is Charlie Strong. Uh, you know, upset, uh, I guess, uh, offended. They didn't even get, I think, consideration for that defensive coordinator job. And it really has been a long, slow fall uh, for Charlie from maybe the peak here uh, to things not working at Texas, being even worse at USF, and now where he is. What, what happened with Charlie, in your opinion? I think he was upset. He didn't even get uh, consideration for the defensive coordinator job, quite frankly. And in all honesty, I really thought that Mario was going to heavily consider him um, because not only um, does he know what he's doing when it comes to coordinating a defense, um, he's an outstanding recruiter. And in Mario's world, there are two things that matter, winning, obviously, and recruiting. And Charlie knows how to recruit, particularly that South Florida area. You guys in Louisville know that better than anybody, considering who he brought in there during his time at Louisville. So I think Charlie felt because he was already on staff, he at least deserved the consideration of being given an interview. And when that didn't happen, I think he just thought to himself, well, what, what am I doing here? Am I, am I just going to be a position coach here and maybe not get the type of uh, respect that I feel like I deserve at this point in my career, uh, especially considering how hard Mario works as assistant there? Maybe he feels like he can go somewhere else and maybe at some point become a coordinator again. I know he's getting up there in age, uh, but the fact is that even though Miami probably underperformed a little bit uh, as a defense um, I think Charlie was in a really good spot there on staff at Miami. In fact, I visited with him, oh gosh, when was I up in Miami? Uh, later in the season, maybe in November. Uh, and he told me he was happy there. Um, and he felt like things were going really well. But then things changed when that coordinator position came open. Um, so I understand his point of view. We can sit here and debate whether he should have like hightailed it out of there or not. But I understand his point of view when you're talking about the resume that he has, the recruiting ability that he has to not even get called in for an interview for that job. Uh, I, I can understand why he walked away. Uh, Andrea, there's a, there's a lot of optimism here. People, I think, are especially with basketball season going the way that it is, people just dying for the football season uh, to get here. I saw a Bill Connolly, you know, in sort of the asking everyone on the ESPN the college football staff to make one wild prediction one bold one he's like uh louisville wins the acc and, and i his his argument was basically the schedule is extremely friendly uh for for louisville being able to go on a, a run that would finish in the top two in the acc and jeff brom does have a reputation of providing a pretty big instant boost uh, when he shows up uh, at a place how wild is that prediction maybe for you in, in your mind it certainly does seem like especially the schedule really does them a ton of favors yeah, it really does. Doesn't it feel nice not to be tied to the Atlantic Division right now? <sighs> it's <laughs> nice. They're basically playing a coastal division schedule. Yeah. Look at who they have, right? So this is like a case study on what would happen if a team from the Atlantic was moved into the coastal, right? Because they've got, well, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They have two teams from the Atlantic Division on their schedule, and it's Boston College and NC State, right? The rest of it's the coastal. Yep. So if you're looking at it right now, you're like, dang, this is this got to take advantage of that. Got to figure out how to get past Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Duke, and Pitt. I don't know, but Louisville probably feels pretty good about that, right, considering who they had to play. No Clemson, no Florida State. I mean, sign Louisville up all day, every day for that. So I understand why Bill made that prediction. In fact, um, Today on In Play on the ACC Network, I had discussed this uh, with uh, Adam Rittenberg, who was filling in for David Hale. And, you know, Adam has covered Jeff Brom for a really long time at, at Purdue and, and knows him really well. And he didn't think that this prediction was as outlandish as maybe some others may think, because, as you alluded to, of what Jeff does on offense. You, know, you talk about instant boost, right? If there's an area 
of this team that underperformed last year was at the offense or the defense. It was the offense, right? And defense has been the question mark for him at Purdue. Um, so when, when you look at it, I know they lost a bunch of guys on the defensive side of the ball, but he also kept some assistants uh, that, that were there to help set that foundation. So when you look at it, if you can get what Louisville did defensively a year ago, but add in yeah. what Jeff Brom does on offense, boy, that makes you feel really good about the prospects for this team given that schedule this year. How much better do you – how much, I guess, maybe brighter is sort of your your outlook on Louisville because they're going to be bringing in a quarterback who's played in this offense multiple years? I mean, it's not like you're sort of starting from scratch. Jack Plummer knows – this offense, I mean, how much does that alone sort of change your, your expectations for Louisville, if at all? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. They, they do and they should. And you know, right out of the gate, forget about the schedule. With the addition of Jeff Brom, you have to feel like this is a bowl team every single season, right? I mean, it should be. Um, now you add in the schedule. Now you add in having a quarterback who's been in this system before. Now you add in this recruiting class that he was largely able to keep together, correct? Um, and you start looking at what the possibilities are going to be for this team playing in a new-look ACC that has no divisions, that quite honestly is fairly wide open because you mentioned Bill Connolly making this prediction. Today he came out with his SP-plus rankings, yep. and he has Florida State 11 and Clemson 12, right? So it's not as if those rankings, which again, strictly look at statistics and numbers, and yes, they look at what happened last season and, and some other rankings that maybe other people aren't looking at when they're figuring out their rankings. But it's not as if anybody is sitting here saying, gosh, that ACC is dominated once again by Clemson. Nobody's really saying that. There's questions about Clemson. Okay, I think people feel like the Garrett Riley hire was pretty good um, and that he can help Kate Klubnick. There's questions about Florida State. Okay, are they going to be the team we saw in the first four games and the final six last year, or the one we saw in the middle three um, that, that lost some games that they probably shouldn't have. And then who else is there? I mean, North Carolina with that defense? Hmm. You know, Pitt? Revamped Pitt? Um, Miami? Five and seven? Like, who else are we talking about here? So you know, it, it makes sense to me that there would be an optimistic outlook here. The fan base is engaged and excited again after years with an S on it of kind of feeling maybe a little apathetic about what Scott Satterfield was doing uh, with the program. So I can see it. And the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me about why, um, why Bill would make this type of prediction. And by the way, you know, us reporters, we, we just love making these bold predictions because they always work out, Mark. I mean, we always end up looking <laughs> like geniuses at the end of the day. But this one could work out. This one could work out. We're talking with Andrew Adelson uh, from ESPN here. Andrew, let's uh, talk about Florida State uh, for just a second. And the ACC could probably desperately uh, use uh, Florida State being closer to the Florida State we are accustomed uh, to seeing uh, in our lifetimes, and it seems like it's all coalescing for them to 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 be back to being that kind of Florida State. What's your your optimism level about them? What do you? Th- I mean, are they? Are, are we talking about a, a playoff contender here uh, this year? How good is Florida State going to be this year? Yeah, I feel like they are good enough to be a playoff contender. And quite honestly, we will know by the month of end of September whether they are or not because their two hardest games uh, are in September. They open against LSU here in Orlando, and then they play Clemson, a team they haven't beaten since 2014. And that's really going to determine the season for them, right? If they lose those games, they could make it back to the ACC championship game. Um, they could. But, you know, how is the committee going to view a team that has those two and basically no other ranked teams on their schedule, which is the way it sets up for them right now? Maybe there'll be another surprise team in the ACC that, that comes out, maybe surprise two, three, four teams that are ranked, maybe a team like Louisville's ranked, but they don't play Louisville, right? right. So um, I feel like their schedule sets up after that first month really nicely for them. Again, I think they'll probably benefit a little bit from not being in the Atlantic Division. Uh, When you look at the returning starters they have coming back, particularly uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they can make a lot of improvement there from a group that was good but not quite elite. And on offense, I think they're edging toward being elite because they can run the ball, they're physical up front, the transformation they've made on that offensive line – 
um, has been one of the most underreported stories in the ACC, quite honestly, mm. um, over the last year. And the uh, transformation of Jordan Travis, who left Louisville as a wildcat quarterback <laughs> and is now a passer and a good passer and making good decisions back there, providing the type of balance that Florida State has not had on offense uh, with both the run and the pass. So I tend to buy Florida State as a playoff contender. And I just saw Mike Norvell. He was in Orlando this weekend for one of those Nike coaches clinics. And they bring all these high school coaches come in and they hear from all these head coaches who are at Nike schools. And Mike delivered this really like fiery, passionate speech as he's known to do. You know, but he is not shying away from these expectations. You know, he believes he's at Florida State and everybody should expect them to compete for a championship every single year. That's what should be happening at Florida State. So now that they're at this point, well, yeah, he welcomes the expectations because that's what they all believe in the football building they should be doing is competing for championships because that should be what's expected of them. And this is a team that 10 years ago won a national championship. So, you know, they're not that far removed uh, from it. And I just feel like with um, the way they have alignment now from the president's office on down, they just made a large financial commitment, long-term commitment to Mike Norvell. Their collective is in good shape. Um, their collective just sent Jordan Travis and Trey Benson, their leading rusher, to the Super Bowl. Um, it feels like everything is in place right now, financially, alignment-wise, on the field, for this team to be taken seriously again. We're talking with Andrew Adelson from ESPN. The Obviously, the sort of the perennial favorite in the ACC is Clemson, and we saw them so do something that we've not seen much of with Dabo. He's been very insular. It's been very uh, continuity-based and, and continuity-heavy. And he, just like he sort of did on the defensive side when he brought in Vin- Venables, steps outside of his normal co- coaching tree to bring in Garrett Riley uh, to change that offense, which had gotten extremely stale and, and kind of predictable there. Uh, how surprised were you maybe that they opted to make a move like that? And, and why do you think it was different this time that he didn't just sort of stick with what he knows uh, and people he knows that he sort of raised up from the inside like he's done in the past and went outside of his sort of normal circles here? Well, it was surprising in that Dabo has defended his decision to stay in-house with the hires of Wes Goodwin as their defensive coordinator and Brandon Streeter as the offensive coordinator for, like, I don't know, felt like almost every day of the last year. Um, So for him to uh, make that change felt different because he has been so adamant that he was going to do things his way, and his way was the right way. Well, I think after watching that Orange Bowl performance, when they ran like almost 100 plays and barely scored any points, got him thinking, what are we doing here, right? We've got an elite quarterback, and we can't waste another one. We can't ruin him the way that DJ Uyunglele essentially was ruined during his time at Clemson. Yeah. Got to be a better way. Uh, not only that, the misuse of Will Shipley throughout the course of the entire season. I mean, Will Shipley made the All-ACC team in three different spots and yet did not live up to what he could have done because they didn't use him in key situations throughout the course of the season, uh, including against South Carolina and then including in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, when Dabo sat down to look at it, I I think he felt like he had to do something because they have been great on defense, yes, but who have people talked about? Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, how great those offenses have been and suddenly they can't score and they're not in the top 20 in offense anymore for two straight seasons. The season before wasn't Streeter's fault, but he's been the quarterback's coach the last two years, right? So that speaks directly to DJ and to Kate Klubnick. So um, I I applaud him for doing something to get the offense back on track. I think this was a great hire. It feels like a slam dunk hire considering – where Garrett Riley has been and what he's done, what he did with Max Duggan a year ago, who was the backup headed into last season, then becomes a Heisman Trophy finalist. So Kate Klubnick, at least from a pedigree standpoint, should be better than Max Duggan, right? I mean, he has more of those credentials coming out of high school than Max Duggan did, and that's no slam on Max Duggan. That's just how the recruiters evaluated him. So um, I think it was a great move. And, and quite, quite frankly, if you're Dabo, and you're looking at what Florida State is doing, and you're looking at 
who North Carolina has coming back at, at quarterback. You just played them in the in the championship game. You got to feel like you need to do something on offense. It can't just be the status quo, no matter how indignant you are about loyalty and wanting to promote from within. And a couple of times he's gone outside the program when he brought in Chad Morris for offense, when he brought in Brent Venables for defense. That worked out really, really, really well yeah. for Clemson. That set them up for their six-year playoff run. Andrew, who's in for a long year this year? When you look at them right now, who who do you look at and you sort of say, like, man, I, I don't know how it got to where it is, but unless something sort of miraculous happens, it could be a really, really long year for who? Well, that's a, that's a really that's a really hard question. It's really depressing I, to ask you that right after what you it, just said. It, I know. Well, it, yeah, it, it is, especially because I haven't, like, sat here and looked at every team, but I still – I still don't have very high hopes for Virginia Tech uh, yeah. at this point. You know, I, I don't feel as if they made a lot of moves in the transfer portal that are going to put them over the top, um, particularly at the quarterback position. You know, the recruiting class they signed wasn't a top 25 recruiting class uh, in the ACC. They're still losing ground in the state of Virginia. Um, so, you know, I know he didn't have a ton to work with when he got to Virginia Tech and kind of where the program was when he took it over, but I just don't know how many steps he's taken throughout this offseason over the last two or three months that makes you sit here and say, oh, yeah, Virginia Tech is going to be back uh, this season. You know, I have higher hopes for a program like Miami, even though we just said what we said about Miami, because they find a great recruiting class. Um, and they have Tyler Van Dyke coming back. And I think this offense is going to suit his skill set far better. And I think when the transfer portal opens back up in May, they'll tr- go and try and get an elite receiver to be able to help him out. They signed some elite receivers, don't know what they're going to look like. Um, so, you know, when you look at a program like Miami, I feel like they should be a bowl team, you know, this year. Um, if we're just looking at the teams that did not make bowl games uh, a year ago, it's going to be tough for Georgia Tech, you know, no matter what. And I think it's going to be tough for Virginia, quite honestly, um, because they're also kind of starting over from scratch. And that's a, a program that, um, you know, obviously has much more than football uh, that they've had to deal with over the last several months. What kind of um, mental state are those guys going to be in, you know, throughout the course of the off season as they head into the season. But I'm going to say Virginia Tech because I, I just don't know that they've done enough to put themselves in position um, to recapture uh, the spirit uh, of what made them so good in the best years under Frank Beamer. Andrew, we appreciate you coming on with us as always. We'll look forward to uh, talking to you again here soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. All right. Great stuff uh, from Andrea. As always, great stuff uh, from her. Uh, and sharing in that optimism uh, there about uh, Louisville, I've mentioned you know we mentioned uh, Bill Connolly's uh, bold prediction that Louisville would uh, win the ACC, and I, you know I don't think he was actually predicting it, but if you asked him to make a bowl, he's like, oh, how about that? I mean, it's possible. I mean, Louisville really does have uh, a an incredibly favorable schedule that that nobody else has in the ACC with the combination of not having divisions so that you don't need anyone to lose twice to finish in the top two. Like, that has been the real killer, is is losing the tiebreaker to Clemson or Florida State. It doesn't matter. You, won't have, you will not have anyone that has to lose twice uh, if, to be able to make it and to not draw Florida State or Clemson at all. I mean, I guess I hadn't even really thought about it in the way that she did, where she said it's basically, it is a coastal schedule. I mean, Lula is going to play the coastal schedule this year. It's our turn. It's pretty nice. I'm not complaining about it this year. I'm not complaining about it one bit at all. All right. I wanted to quickly remind you guys about uh, our friends, the fitness market. I have gotten back into my discipline of using my rower, which I got from the fitness market. And I love, I love this thing. It has been through COVID, through all of this, has been like the, like my one constant thing that has sort of kept me uh, from going crazy and helped. Uh, winter, uh, when we're all locked inside, you name it, I have worn that thing out. Fitness market, they got everything. Treadmills, ellipticals, spin bikes, rowers, e-bikes. They've got it all. They've been doing this for forever, and they got all the name brands too. Precore, Matrix, Spirit, Kaiser Hoist. I mean, you name it. They have all of them. Uh, they offer financing if you need it. And these are local guys, guys that you know. Chris and Pat Wider, they've been doing this for 18 years now. They can work on them if you have issues with them after you get them. But the treadmill medic, they're experienced on this. Go see them 
at the fitness market. They got two locations. Westport Road, not very far from me, or on Plantside Drive, which is their superstore, kind of their bigger showroom there. But you can check them out there, or you can check them out online at thefitnessmarket.com. Don't forget about those guys there at the fitness market. They will take care of you. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll talk one more thing about that Louisville schedule. we got some future ones going to change uh, here in the near future, maybe what we're going to do about that. On the other side here, on the drive on I Thunderville. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition, and I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift, five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate. I would do it all over again, just like I just did. You know those buddies who magically become medical professionals when you're not at the top of your game? The ones who say, Come on, muscle through it. But then also say, Hey, you should probably see my specialist. Or surgery or pain meds. It's almost always false, false, and false. Athletico's physical therapists, the same therapists who work with professional athletes, can tackle those little aches and pains from the start before they become big ones. So next time, don't believe everything you hear. Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Ennis here on a Tuesday. Talk to the Andrea Adelson. Appreciate her uh, joining us here. Uh, and uh, look, she's always, it's always unbelievably thorough and always unbelievably energetic uh, so we appreciate andrea anytime uh, that she can uh, join us i did want to quickly mention uh some interesting uh, news of the day today uh usf announcing and you'll re- you, you will recall that that the acc i guess had sort of sent some guidance to membership saying they really didn't want members playing road games at a group of five schools anymore which would certainly include usf especially going forward uh, but louisville's got a a home-and-home home series, or they've got another pair of games with USF. It was a two-for-one with USF uh, to play down there in the near future. 2024 was supposed to be at USF. 2026 was supposed to be another there, another trip here because they obviously played here this year uh, as well. Uh, and USF pushing those back. Uh, and I look, I don't know if that was TV-driven. You know, I don't know if it was maybe uh, like a. A hand, sort of a, a favor to the new coach, you know, sort of trying to get them up off the ground and maybe make those schedules a little bit easier with a fewer of those buy games that are probably going to be losses for them. Uh, but it's it now opens up, and I think a little, a little bit of a a tough situation with 2024 because 2024 schedule was supposed to have Indiana on it here and South Florida there, and I believe. We were the first that we had the caller who called in and basically was like, hey, we're uh, I hear that, you know, I use trying to get out of that series. It's now been reported that they are trying to get out of that that home and home uh, portion of it, at least uh, with this game uh, secure. And we could end up in a situation where Louisville's got holes in two places for next year's schedule, not this upcoming year, but next year, 2024. And would have to replace uh, both of those. Uh, but they're at least going to have to replace South Florida on it. The 2026 one. Have you looked at the 2026 schedule? It's it's been a unbelievable. That's the year you got like Georgia on the rock team. 2026, they play Georgia, Kentucky, Notre Dame, Florida State, Clemson, and Miami. Yeah, that's murderers row right there. I mean, it's crazy. And USF, I think in 2026, I mean, I love Jeff. I think he's going to do a great job here. So I'm not worried about any of those games. But that's a lot for a schedule. They have 11 Power Five games in 2026, and USF is the buy game. I think we can all go ahead and make a little bit of peace with the fact that the, that will probably become next year the USF game or 2026. That'll be Murray or, or Moorhead or somebody, right? Like that. Yeah, will be, that needs. Yeah, that, for- that that needs to be the buy game where where you can kind of give some guys some rest and some reps. There, gotta be not with, with a schedule like that. Oh my god, what are we thinking? Hopefully, the, by then the recruits will be what junior senior year. Yeah. So hopefully, it's a hell of a schedule. It really is one hell of a schedule, and I look. I understand. I think everyone in college football kind of got in uh, the mode of scheduling a little bit tougher because you, it's harder to get people to come to games for those buy games and things like that. 
but also uh, thinking that a 12-team playoff is going to be more forgiving of teams that lose games uh, and that you, you might as well go for the revenue of playing good games and the potential for a resume builder by playing uh, good teams, even if you lose, uh, you'll win your share of those. My my only fear with sort of that logic in general, and I don't even know that I would say that Louisville scheduled that way on purpose uh, necessarily, but you know Georgia at ten and two, or Alabama at ten and two, or A and M at ten and two, or Ohio State or Michigan or somebody, I I think people will probably give them the benefit of the doubt, but I don't trust people to do that with Louisville at say ten and two. Do you? Again, like I discussed, it's hard to look in a vacuum at the ten and two. You guys see like how they get there, but I mean, I'm with you. Like if it's between like a ten to Louisville team, a ten to Ohio State, ten to Alabama, we're definitely getting let out because those guys are the big boys, they're the name brands in college football. Yeah, that's the part that I would worry about, and so I don't. I I think I won't mind if Louisville's reaction to these openings that are now here because of the USF series moving these games back is to maybe take it a little easier. You know, they really did beef up the schedule in a crazy way uh, in some of these future schedules. A&M series, Georgia series, and I love it. I'm excited about the games. Like, don't get me also wrong. Glad Satterfield's not the coach anymore because those games... And doesn't that change your mindset, though? Yeah. Like, you think about those games, you're like, we have a chance in these games. You really do think that, and and you are you are justified, I think, to think that. Exactly. Like, Jeff has shown, like, Ohio State, the year they won a title, or they made the playoff at least, I believe that was one of the years he beat Ohio State was the year they made the playoffs still. So he's shown that he can – he'll get his guys up. Like, I'm excited for football going forward. Oh, I am too. So I'm not afraid uh, of those games in the least. But thinking big picture-wise, I appreciate the fact that it seemed like Vince uh, and now Josh both have, have realized that people want to see those games. Like, they're people want – people don't want those crappy buy games. They just – they don't. Yeah, it's like we understand why they exist, obviously. Right. But from a fan perspective, you told me you get Notre Dame at home at late night or like last year's James Madison, which would have been a good team. Don't get me wrong with James Madison. But you're telling me Notre Dame versus James Madison, which game sells more? It's obviously Notre Dame. Yeah, no, I, I think that – but you, I mean, when you have a schedule with 11 Power 5 games in, in 2026, and not only is it 11 Power 5 games, but it's Georgia – and Notre Dame, it's not even like 11 Power 5 games in it's Indiana and Vanderbilt. You know, it's Georgia, Georgia Notre Dame, Kentucky in the non-conference. Uh, that's strong. I've, I mean, we waited our whole lives as Louisville fans for, for games like that on kind of a regular basis. So I'm not going to balk at it. But I don't think we can blame them if they maybe take these opportunities to take a, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a, lo- a little bit of a load off. But for 2024, they could be in a tough spot. With having to replace two games. You know, having to replace USF and Indiana, if Indiana really does do the cowardly thing and get out of this series, screw them if they do. Come on. What are they running from? Are they doing the same thing? Well, they know what Jeff Brom's going to do. Is that what it is? Because Jeff Brom's over Is that the what it is? Do you, think, do you think that that's what happened? That Tom Allen was like, I ain't doing it. Not happening. That's that's my theory. You think so? I'll lean in on that conspiracy theory there, which may not even be a conspiracy, but it should be true. I mean... That's the sort of thing we would never know, though, right? We're not going to get, like, Duke in writing saying, we're not that good. You can replace <laughs> us with somebody of equal or better value. Texture is right. He says that they would have to institutionalize Stoops if he has 11 Power 5 games. You would get he, <laughs> you would get some super trolly tweets from Vince Marrow. Uh <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, if they ended up with a schedule uh, like that, I think they'll be the. They might be already the last team that plays like ten Power Five games in a season. Like they, they don't do it. Cause they gotta get those MAC games in. <laughs> they keep the MAC afloat, dude. Yeah. Well, if they do go the well, we've also discussed if they go to a nine-game conference schedule. He's gonna try to get out. Of that yeah, they're they're gonna try to get out of Louisville. Because that would be their 10th Power 5 game. I they can't do that. He's going to try to get out of that series. I That will be a truly fascinating kind of experiment or test or whatever about it. I get the allegiance and uh, of Stoops and Barnard. I mean, they clearly love each other. And he clearly prefers Stoops to Calipari. 
uh, and, and doesn't mind whatever the hell happens to Calipari. And he loves Mark Stoops and gives him literally anything that he wants. Does he love him enough to let him drop that Louisville series? Is no, Mark going to take those crazy bullets? Crazy because they've owned the rivalry. Yeah, great. Louisville's got a coaching change, but I mean, the last few years it's been dominated by Kentucky. So I don't know from their perspective why you get out of this. Unless you're just that afraid of Jeff Brom like Indiana is. I would, and it, look, it would. It probably would not matter. So I'm not going to pretend like it's going to be like a giant deal, like I'm making this amazing thread or something. But I will roast them every single day if they drop that series to play nine games in the SEC and they just won't play Louisville anymore so they, so they can play, you know, Austin P and Bowling Green. Now, did you roast them in 2020 or were you more lenient because of the circumstances? I kind of roasted them, but I kind of didn't feel like we could roast anybody for how they handled COVID. But they did vote yeah. against playing that 11th game. Yeah. And I, I understand. I understood that. But this ain't that. And I, I am a, a staunch uh, opponent of avoiding your way to anything. Now, Louisville didn't pick the schedule this year. It just sets up nicely and creates an opportunity for them. But to the extent that anyone controls their schedule, you cannot accuse Louisville of that. I mean, look at the team like the teams that they have played. They've agreed to play, you know, Ole Miss or, or others, you know, in these these non-conference games. They've got Notre Dame on a regular basis. They've got A and M scheduled. They got freaking Georgia scheduled. They played Alabama a few years they ago. They played Alabama a couple years ago. They played Auburn many years ago, twenty fifteen. Uh, they're in Atlanta. They're playing the Indiana series. They're not even afraid to play Western Kentucky. That probably would be a pretty good film for 2024. Honestly, yeah, because Jeff Brum has ties there. So, and, you know, there's a lot of guys from Louisville that go to school down there. So it'd be a great matchup there. I think if you could get them to agree to a one off game and not a, a home and home series, you know, just get them to come oh, for 2024. Like play and that's game it. in Nashville or much less in Bowling Green. Just play it here. Enough of that. No one wants to go to Nashville for that game, do they? I don't, but I'm, I I don't think anybody wants to drive to Nashville to watch them play Western Kentucky. Just come up. I'm kind of curious what Purdue's schedule because I haven't looked at them at much to see if Jeff gets a game with Purdue. <laughs> it's like, hey, throw us a bone. There would be that would be one funny thing, uh, like an incredible troll, if IU drops the Louisville game and then they pick up Purdue. It would be interesting, obviously, for the That'd Jeff Brom Purdue storylines. But it would be like, okay, IU, Purdue's not afraid to play us. Like, I think it would be a great troll move. I like that idea. That would Those nerds over in West Lafayette just trolling IU. I would love. I, would, I think I would love that. I think Jeff would probably love that. Uh, I, I hope that 2024, where the schedule isn't quite as difficult, I would hope that they don't, they don't end up with two bums. You know, I don't, I don't want two... You don't want to do what pure buy games. Yes, I don't want to play Austin P in in Bowling Green. I don't want to play Ohio. I want Eastern one of those Michigan. games every year. Yes, exactly. And they're weird gray field. Yeah, it's one, this is the weirdest field. Of it's all an the odd, well. You remember? Um, well, there are various movies that kind of go grayscale. You know, when you like yeah. they're shot that way. That's how it looks. I always wonder if there's something kind of wrong with my TV when. When I watch those games, you know, on the Eastern yeah. Michigan's field, I've never seen anything like that. It's a fairly new thing because I that is going to date me a bit. But back when the way football video games were a thing, I played as Eastern Michigan, one of my dynasties, just for the hell of it because they were, you know, poor team. And they had the green turf back in the day for that game, at least when it came out. So it's a fairly new innovation that they've done there. But it is the weirdest color you can see on a field. Like, let's Eastern Washington's red field. It sticks out. It looks fire. Unintended. Do you like it? I like the red turf. I think it's really hard to watch a three-hour football game with that red turf on TV. It's rough. Maybe I need to get the I mean, Diener to get not, me the I'm guys with RGB to like make it work. I'm not going around watching Eastern Washington games, although they produce NFL studs. Kendrick Bourne, Cooper Cup, obviously. Oh, no, they're good. It's just that that red is hard on my eyeballs. Maybe now, are, I'm getting are, old. Are you used to the blue turf by now? Because I have no issues with the blue turf. I never did. Yeah. I mean, did you? I, I never had any issues. I always thought it was cool when I was younger. I always kind of hoped Louisville would play there. Then they, they played a few bowl games there throughout the years. I wish I would have played them when they were good. Texter said that IU is going to replace us with Cincinnati. They're like, we tried to play Satterfield here. You think that's what it was? Well, no, because it was in the contract agreed to when it was like Charlie Strong or Bobby Petrino. So. I think it was Petrino. So it's like, that doesn't that doesn't work there, but it'd also be hilarious if they goes like, okay, we'll play Cincinnati now because of Satterfield. We see what he does. Nah, Texter has a good suggestion. And I, I kind of like this idea. But play Colorado? 
That would be a show. That would be fun. Yeah. That would be a show. I mean, I don't even care. You play them there because it would be. It, that would be a fun trip. I agree. And also, we're in recruiting battles with them, partly because, you know, Dion's such a brand and players, you know, want to play for Dion that it would be great to go play him. It's like, hey, see how we match up against Colorado, who you might be deciding between us and them. Yeah. I've, aren't you fascinated by how that's going to go? A little. Dion in Colorado? Yeah. I, I want to say they'll be good. I think this year might be a little rough just because, you know, first year. But he had no problem at Jackson State. Again, it's different competition level. So I, I hope it succeeds because it would be fun for everybody in, involved if Colorado is successful again. Well, I I uh, I will fully admit that, like, I was dead wrong. I, I, I thought he was just kind of a show. You know, I, I didn't think that he was – I didn't think he had any interest in, like, the grinder football coach life. You know, I thought this was just kind of a showman promotional thing. It's like that. He's got his son on his team, too. Yeah, I, I really like I just thought that he was uh, I didn't think he was serious. You know, when we first started talking about him coaching, I thought, well, there were Florida State fans who wanted them to to join Norvell's staff as like a defensive backs coach. And I was like, well, the one thing I'm sure of is he's not going to be interested in that. Right. Like, you know, you would never get him to sort of live the uh, the grunt position coach life but it went way better than i expected at jackson state and it turns out that he's way more of a football coach coach than i expected and it's gone well i think he'll get guys to colorado I mean, he just got travis hunter to flip which that was kind of a given but he had number one quarterback in this past year's class also committing to colorado They're, that defense will be fine the offense is going to be i mean i'd not fall in colorado that close with recruiting but it's going to be fascinating to see what he can get on the offensive side of the ball. Well, and the Pac-12 is not going to be that great. Yeah, you got UCLA, USC leaving. Oregon, you know, what are they going to be up to? Utah, how much longer are they going to be at the top of the pack? Well, I mean, Whittingham is, is established. Like they're gonna, I think they're going to stay a good. I, I'm, I'm not worried about uh, that. I did think since you mentioned Utah that it is noteworthy. Notre Dame. In need of an offensive coordinator now that Tommy Reese is headed down uh, to Alabama. They they set their, reportedly everybody, they set their sights on Andy Ludwig, who's been very successful offensive coordinator. <laughs> Texture says the UK will schedule Missouri State now that Petrino's gone. They'll try. I bet you're right about that. Uh, they they uh, were trying to hire Andy Ludwig, the very, very good offensive coordinator at Utah, and balked at paying a, he has a hefty buyout for an offensive coordinator, for a coordinator, $2.8 million. But guys, this is Notre Dame. If you're serious about football, you're gonna make that. You're gonna pay whatever you can. There are a lot of Power Five schools who would pay that if they if they wanted that guy to be their offense. Like they would pay that. Like if, yeah, if Saban, you tell me if he wanted that guy, he'd get him. Even though, like I said, two point eight for a coordinator's hefty buyout. But if Saban wanted him, he'd get him. You're Notre Dame. Yeah, the buildings have gold on them. Buy the guy. What are they doing? I don't know. I love Bud Elliott's joke last night. He said they should join a conference so they can afford to make a move like that. And I, that's pretty funny to me. Isn't like wh when did Notre Dame get cheap? Since when were they on a budget? I mean, they could have had probably any coach they wanted. They decided to promote Freeman, and it, again, last year it started off poorly and ended up being fine. And I'm not saying Freeman was the wrong choice or whatnot. They should have done a search. That's for them to decide. And they let on Freeman. But, yeah, they've never shown to be cheap. I mean, they were the flashy program back in the they 80s. They paid Charlie Weiss for like a decade after he was gone. They're not cheap. But very weird, right? Yeah, and they they have so many donors that are going to donate and fork over the money. Well, that, that I think, is, the, like, if you're Freeman, that's got to unnerve you at least a little bit. Because I would think, if like, if you take the job and you're talking about competing against the biggest of the big uh, team, uh, you know you want to be a playoff team you want to compete with SEC and Big Ten schools who are perennial powerhouses and that sort of thing you know, they, they pay that everyone every SEC contender pays that every Big Ten contender pays that every Pac-12 contender pays that uh, Clemson Louisville Florida State Miami Pitt probably they pay that no question they pay that if that's if that's the guy that they want they pay that and I, I am I'm I'm shocked that money would be an impediment for Notre Dame for for just about anybody.
And if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm sure when I took that job, I'm thinking, if I need it, I'm gonna be able to. We can. We're gonna be able to afford it. We might not be able to get everybody via you know, persuasion or whatever. But when it comes down to money, how in the world have we gotten to a place where Notre Dame is not willing to pay that? Because it's not like they're breaking the bank for him. That's the thing that's surprising. It's not like it's you know Brian Kelly was making say, a good what, boatloads of money. Maybe that's probably a thing. Would the quarterback be making more than Marcus Freeman if they were to pay that because they got to pay the buyout and then give him a salary? I mean, I don't. That's the thing. Like I, Brian Kelly left. And Freeman didn't get like a nine million dollar year contract or something. It's not like they're way under the budget. You know, way over budget with the staff as it is. It just surprises me a great deal. I, I'm very surprised that that uh, played out the way that it did. And now, good luck to the next guy, by the way, right? Yeah, like, you, like, you're very publicly second choice now. I mean, it's like that Tennessee gig for a while where it's like, we all know they want your boy Shiano, and it's like... <laughs> My boy Shiano, yeah. you shut your mouth. I hate you. Oh, I always had to get that jab in there. But it's I like, know. we all know that this wasn't your top choice, and now this should pick 37, which, hey, Heupel's worked out well for Tennessee. Oh, it's, listen, there are coaches that I've been wrong about i I was not strong but i was very skeptical that that would work because it felt like the ad was kind of a second choice with danny white and then he hired that he just hired the guy that he knew it's obviously it's worked out pretty well worked out better than the previous central florida coach did scott ross (laughs) i would agree uh with with that so look i think louisville's gonna have some schedule work to do uh i I hope that they take the opportunity to play an interesting game but i'll be okay if they don't try to kill themselves with somebody's over the top. I'm trying to think like a middle of the pack because not Vandy, obviously. But mm. Like trying to pick a middle of the pack, um, you know, power five school that they could get on the schedule. Well, a lot of these schedules are full. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. We're talking thing. about 2024. They probably would have to do some sort of coordinating with, you know, like a three team trade kind of thing, you know, where <laughs> schools would have to give up various games. Cash consideration. Yeah. Something like, oh, yeah, a game to be named later or something. Uh, yeah. Western for next year would probably be fine. Uh, if they have to do two games, like if they do Western and uh, whatever, you know, Austin P or something like that, would uh, Tennessee Tech or whatever. Yeah. I don't. Want, I hope West that doesn't happen. Western is an FBS level team, so that would not kill the schedule that much. But I'm with you. It's going to be a schedule that's maybe easier than this year. So it's like, hey, we got 11 wins, so we can do the Kentucky thing. It's like, look at all these wins we accumulated. I saw that uh, today was the uh, the birthday of Steve McNair. Uh, Rest in peace there, uh, Steve McNair. I think he single-handedly like launched ESPN2. You know, when ESPN2 first started, probably when you were very young, maybe even before you were born. I was born in 99. I don't know when it launched exactly. Yeah. But I remember their funky graphics, and the only thing they had on that show or on that channel was Jim Rome getting punched by Jim Everett and Steve McNair games when he was at Alcorn State. So I was actually at the women's game on Sunday. They did like a jersey theme because it was Super Bowl Sunday. And there was a lady in front of me wearing a Steve McNair Titans jersey. Very nice. The guy was awesome. And he was, if you go, like he got to be kind of a big, bulky NFL quarterback. When he was at at Alcorn State, kids, you don't know. You don't know about that, man. He was awesome. He was like a huge Lamar Jackson. He made HBCUs cool back in the day. And he was super cool. And maybe like the last guy who kind of suffered under like the, the very, very old model where it's like, oh, you're a black quarterback, how don't you play safety? Why don't you come try safety? Because that's where like a lot of the major schools wanted them to play was on the defensive side of the safety. He's like, how about I go somewhere where I can be the quarterback? And he was awesome. He was incredible. And then he worked out well for the Titans. His, his high, highlights at Alcorn State are out of this world. I'll have to look at that up tonight. Uh, you, you will not regret that. And you will note the extreme 90s graphics on ESPN2, like when they first launched. Like they're trying to be like edgy, and so it's real funny. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe, like so that we even watched a lot of that. We presented the way that we did. I feel the same way whenever I watch an old game, find it on YouTube or whatever. Because yeah. literally every game you've ever that's ever been played, someone has put it on YouTube now. But the number of games where like the score isn't on the screen all the time. Why did we ever live that way? Oh, that's like one of the toughest watches. Like an old like eighties or nineties NBA game. It's like. Where's or even like the UVL championship games in the A's like where's the score bug right now like how do you know how much time's left so it's like well you gotta pay attention if you just like listen on the radio it's like if you're not paying attention it's like how much time's left you don't know 
Oh, I don't even know what the score is in this moment. And I love the really old ones where the, the, the clock graphic is not like a graphic. It's just the camera on the clock, and you can kind of see it moving sometimes, and they're trying to show you the clock in the corner and stuff like that. Oh, I can't believe we ever watched sports like that. Now we're spoiled. We're very spoiled. Did you like the new uh, score bug they had on Sunday or yeah, Sunday for the Super Bowl? I never noticed that crap at all. Like oh, a difference. They always b- debut a new score bug for the Super Bowl. It's the one year, I think there was the Chiefs 49ers game. That graphic I didn't care for at the time. I was like, that's not that good. But it, it kind of grew on me. What, no, I tell you what got me during the Super Bowl uh, in terms of like what was on the screen and confusion or whatever. There were a handful of Chiefs players. You know, they have yellow as like an auxiliary color who had on either yellow cleats or yellow kind of gloves and sleeves and just like penalty flags all the time. Oh, they had like a yellow uh, mouth guard too. Yeah, and you could see on the screen, I bet, is that, oh, like I thought it was, the flag was being thrown like a guy sort of just running his route. It was weird. The texture says the ESPN logo looked like the intro to the real world. That's exactly what it looked like. You don't even know what the real world is, do you? I'm aware of what it is because I'm a fan of Kyle Brandt's work. And I know he's got to start on the real world at one point, but I've never seen the real world. No, that's well, that's fine. You didn't really. It wasn't that great. People act like it was some sort was of groundbreaking show. It wasn't that it was great. It's a precursor to the crappy television that we have. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was just reality TV. It was just like, here's some attractive 20 year olds who live together and they just sort of have issues with each other or sleep together. Like it just wasn't there wasn't like a point. They weren't going. We're in competition or anything. They just lived but it was it was our it was <laughs> the first foray. We'll put them together and see if they survive, and then we'll go from there. Uh, and now, at least we have a sort of an aim with these shows now. God, we just wasn't watching a lot of bad TV. The first generation of uh, reality TV shows were rough. Bring back the MTV music videos. Oh boy, I watched uh, with Angela last night. We watched uh, the. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction from from back in December and some of those, man. Rough. Really rough. And I also learned that Dan Aykroyd sang on We All the World. I had no idea. Real, I, I saw him in the video. I was like, was that Dan Aykroyd? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. And I was like, what? And then apparently uh, uh, Corey, this one of the videographers over there at UofL, said that it was there's actually a funny backstory that he was there at that building for something, some other reason. Happened to stumble into that room by accident, like went to the wrong room, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you come on in?" Just see first. Yeah, with all these amazing, you know, uh, singers uh, from all sorts of different genres of music who did "We Are the World," which is definitely before your time. Uh, oh, I and like he that just, song. There he is, right in there in the midst of them. I was like, "What the hell is Dan Aykroyd doing in there?" But if they asked me, to, I'd be, "Hell yeah, I'm in there. I can just pantomime while you just, guys actually sing really yeah, well." Yeah, just be in the background, lip sync everything in there. I would sing my heart out, and you'd never be able to hear me over all those amazing singers. They had, it was an pretty oh, yeah. incredible group they had back then. Man, that, yeah, C. Perry, that's Lopper, one of the earliest Jackson. memories I have. That's one of the earliest songs I can remember as a little, little kid. I had no idea why they were doing that. I just liked the song. Everyone liked the song. That's going to do it for us. We appreciate you guys hanging in uh, with us. Biscuit and I back at it tomorrow. You've been listening to The Drive and I the Bill. See you.